Today we'll be uh, reading from God's Word as confessed in Lord's Day 17. We'll be discussing the topic of Christ's resurrection. And you can find that on page 531 of your book of praise. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, can you imagine what the crucifixion of Jesus Christ must have felt like for Mary, his mother? Can you imagine the temptation towards anger and bitterness that must have welled up in her heart? Who was her son, her dear, loving, perfect son, hanging up on a cross? There she stood, watching from a distance, while others were mocking, scoffing, spitting. She stood by, weeping. His final words to her had been to take care of her. He made sure, as we saw, that his disciple John would take care of her. What had he done to deserve this? He spread word of the kingdom of God, healed the sick, brought comfort to the downtrodden, and lifted up the lowly. Yet, this was how the people repaid him. And what about the other disciples? Most of them were gone, scattered to the wind. The world of which he had spoken seemed to have ended with him. This was it. And the spear that pierced his heart also pierced hers. But there was hope. There was hope. In the days that followed, Mary didn't reject everything that Jesus had been teaching. She carried it on from one day to the next. And God bore her through this time of sorrow. When Christ was resurrected, Mary was able to see it and rejoice. God allowed her to see the growth of the church because of her son. She was able to see the Jews whispering prayers in her name, to see the Greeks quietly rejoicing in service of him. She could see the fullness of his resurrection becoming a reality before her very eyes. And she could rest in the confidence that in him, she and everyone else who believed would find new life. And so we see God's word as summarized today. In Christ's resurrection, we too receive new life. And we'll see, first of all, the reality of this resurrection, and secondly, the result of this resurrection. It's easy to speak of the resurrection in a theoretical way. There are many people who end up questioning it because of this. They say, how could such a thing happen? To them, it seems impossible. There are a few things that can be said in answer to this. 
First of all, do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe that there is a God out there who is powerful enough to create the universe and to bend it to his command? In Romans 4, we read about God granting his promise to Abraham. And in speaking of his faithfulness, the Holy Spirit writes that God is able to fulfill his promises. For he is God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, it's mind-boggling to consider that there are those who accept the idea of a God who is able to create the universe, a God who is able to be in control of all of that at all times, and yet to reject the idea of him having the power to raise someone from the dead. If we truly believe in the creation of the world by divine decree, then we need to hold fast to this as well because it has a significant impact on us. Second, there are some who do not believe in the resurrection because they call into question the existence of God entirely. It is at this point that the historical fact of the resurrection actually becomes our strongest ally in such a conversation. To understand the reality of the resurrection is to have an incredible, incredibly valuable evangelistic resource on our hands. To have something that's so much more than just theoretical, but something that lives in our hearts. The first thing that you could say in such a con- conversation is to point out that initially, the disciples themselves first doubted. We can see this in passages like Matthew 28, verse 17, Mark 16, and Luke 24. The reason for this was that the resurrection, in this way, was not something that fit into their theological framework. As Jews, they did not believe, they did believe that there would be something coming down the road, eventually. We read in Job, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. But that being said, they did not yet understand that Jesus had to be resurrected. The idea of individual resurrection was a completely foreign idea to them. It was perhaps even preposterous. You can see this most especially through the response of the disciple Thomas. He says, unless I see in his, hand the, in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the print of those nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Without proof, Without evidence, they would not believe. What then could cause such a change in their hearts? What could cause people who had given up all hope to turn around? At this point, you have to remember that there were other messiahs in the world. There were other messiahs that had come through in that area, that had proclaimed that they were going to deliver Israel. At that time, they had proclaimed that and they had failed. 
There were other people who had claimed that they had this ability and were captured and killed by the Romans. What was so special about this Messiah? One historian writes, in not a single case with regards to these other ones, in not a single case do we hear the slightest mention of the the disappointed followers claiming that their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. Resurrection was not a private event. Jewish revolutionaries whose leader had been executed by the authorities and who managed to escape arrest themselves had two options. First, give up the revolution, or secondly, to find another leader. Claiming that the original leader was alive again was simply not an option, unless, of course, he was. And that is precisely what makes the resurrection so powerful of a reality for us today. The disciples saw Christ's resurrection to be a victory and not a defeat. We can see that in the radical change in their community. Suddenly, Christians were willing to suffer and to die in support of statements that before would have been unthinkable. There was a shift in their theological thinking. Martyrs were willing to go to the lines singing because of their belief. Their firm conviction in the victory of Christ over sin and death demonstrated in his, re- in his resurrection and ascension. Now, at this point, someone might say, wait a minute. It could have just been a few liars that stole his body and hid it. Really? Think of yourself for a moment. Think about your commitment to your favorite causes. Sure, if push came to shove, you might be willing to put up some inconvenience for your cause. You might even be, a, be willing to suffer somewhat for your cause. But you, would you be willing to die for a lie? Would you be willing to die a horrible death? The other response is, well, perhaps there was an outlier. Perhaps it was someone crazy enough to be killed for something he thought he saw or who built so much on this, who had so much of his reputation riding on this, that he's willing to take his lie to the grave. If there was only one person involved in this, that might be true. But multiple people who held passionately to this very same truth for decades, suffered horribly for what they believed, and never once wavered or contradicted each other, Think about the disciples, about the way that they were said to have died. Peter was crucified upside down, and Paul was beheaded under Emperor Nero. Andrew is said to have been crucified. Thomas, who formerly doubted, was said to have preached as far east as India, where he died on the spears of four soldiers. Philip was arrested and cruelly put to death for converting the wife of a Roman proconsul in Asia Minor. Matthew, according to some sources, was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was martyred. The historian Josephus says that James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and then clubbed to death. Matthias, chosen to replace Judas, met his end by burning. Simon the Zealot was said to have been executed for refusing to sacrifice to the sun god in Persia. Of the twelve disciples, only John 
is generally thought to have died a natural death from old age. Well, those were just his immediate disciples. You know, wouldn't they be willing to go to great lengths? It wasn't just them. Many more saw the crucified Christ arisen again. Mary Magdalene saw him, John 20, verses 10 to 18. Cleopas and his companion on the road to Emmaus saw him, Luke 24. And Paul even writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain in the present, although some have fallen asleep. Paul writes of Christ's resurrection openly in the New Testament letters. And these New Testament letters, most historians, they attest that they have been written as recently as 15 years after Christ's death. This was not just one group of people trying to deceive others. This wasn't just one group of people who were completely misled. Paul's writing was an open challenge for the people who read the letters to come and to speak with witnesses themselves. And it was not just an empty challenge either. Thanks to the Roman Empire's roads, travel would not have been too difficult. And so verifying the truth of those statements would not have been hard. Brothers and sisters, Christ has risen. It's a fact. And what an important fact it is for us today. We face death in this life. Whether it is death of a friend or a loved one or even one day our own death. It is there lurking in the shadows. But we do not face it despairingly. Our funerals are not melancholy affairs in which we weep and wail hopelessly, for we have a Savior who has died, but who has overcome death. All who believe in him can rest in the assurance that he who overcame death has not only overcome death for himself, but for all who believe in him. As we read later in 1 Corinthians 15, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards those who are Christ's at his coming. So while there is sadness, there is also hope. There is anticipation when someone dies in the Lord. There's expectation. We bury the seed in the ground, but we will see this person arise once more with a glorified body. Christ was raised at the first fruits, and now these will be raised at Christ's coming. And so their death is not a goodbye. Their death is not a goodbye, but it's an until we meet again. This is our second point. After we share the historical reality of our Savior's resurrection and its resulting hope for our bodily resurrection, we then have the opportunity to share what this new life actually looks like. 
what it actually means. Because if we were simply reconstituted, if we were raised exactly the same in the new world as we are today, then eternity would be terrible. Marred by sin, corrupted in our hearts and minds, we would continue to feel the brokenness of this world. We would continue to have these breakdowns in relationships between us and our wives, between parents and children, between brothers and sisters. I would continually come up. We would continue to be plagued by sickness, disease, and sorrow. And we would be plagued with that for an eternity. We shudder at that thought because we know that's not how it should be. We recognize in the depths of our being that life has so much more potential than we see today. And that's to be expected. Because right now, this world is not as it should be. We read in Romans 8, For we know that the whole creation groans and the labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. When you have days that the world seems very grim to you, when there is darkness all around, remember. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, disasters and strife, remember. When your relationship with those around you is suffering because of sin, remember. Remember that all of creation groans under the weight of sin and its consequences. Do groan inwardly as you recognize this. But don't stop there. There is redemption that awaits. We have already received the first fruits of that redemption through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This was guaranteed as ours through his resurrection. His overcoming death is a guarantee to us that the righteousness obtained by his death is certainly ours. But the fullness of this redemption still awaits us. In Christ, we may groan under the weight of our present circumstances, but we also live this present life with eager expectation. We have hope. The Apostle Peter expresses this beautifully, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a new and living hope through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Obtained for us by his death and resurrection. This gives us strength in the present day. Strengthen the here and now because we know that there will be an end to the way things are now. Consider how much harder you can push when the end is in sight. When you're running a race and you see the finish line ahead of you, remember that kick that you feel right close to the end when you give it all you have and start sprinting. 
Or maybe when you're lifting weights, that powering through of the final reps. Or maybe when you're at work and you want to come home after a long day, you're at close to the end of the day and you only have a few more hours left and you're ready to power through to the end of the day so that you can finally go home. We have an end in sight, a glorious end obtained for us by Christ's death and confirmed for us by his resurrection. It gives us hope to live in this present life, to push through this day and the next and the next, even when we feel it is impossible to push forward anymore because we have an eager expectation of what is to come. We have our eyes fixed on the one who has obtained it for us, who is proven to have been raised, and who now sits on his glorious throne in heaven. But it's not just the future hope that we have for today. It's not just something that's far off in the distance. We also have a very real and present change in our circumstances. For by Christ's power, we are raised up to new life today, this very moment, in the here and now. As believers, you do not just receive a change in character. It's not just a boost to your former self, your natural self. It's new life. We have our heart of stone taken out, and we are given a heart of flesh. Of ourselves, we would stand in rebellion against God. Of ourselves, we would not even begin to be able to love God, to turn to him, or to obey his commandments out of thankfulness to him. And yet God grants us true obedience and love for him. He grants us a destiny entwined together with that of Jesus Christ. He grants us eternity with him. Consider now for a moment the consequences of this reality. Those who do not believe, who are walking around you, perhaps even doing good and nice things for people, they don't need a nudge in the right direction. They don't just need to be given a boost. Your friends and your neighbors, if they don't believe, God says that they are dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. They are walking corpses doomed to have a lifeless existence outside of Christ if they do not repent and believe. They need life. It might not seem that way to them at this point in time. Things might seem to be carrying on just fine. And they might think when you start speaking with them, what are you talking about? But it's only in Jesus Christ that they will be able to have this new life, to stand before God. Brothers and sisters, this should concern us. This should deeply trouble us. It is easy to say, but they might not like me if I share my beliefs with them. But when was the last time that being disliked by a dead person had an effect on you today? For those who are alive, relationships need to be maintained, yes. But for those who are dead, brothers and sisters, they are 
dead. This is not just a question of moral change, of a lifestyle change, of becoming a better person. This is a question of life itself, standing before an almighty and holy God. How can we stand idly by if we have life and we know those around us do not? Let your heart be moved with compassion for them. Point them in the direction of new life. Point them towards Jesus Christ. That is the greatest mercy, the greatest love, the greatest care that you can show to them. For you'll be directing them to the one who gives life. On the basis of the evidence of the resurrection, reach out. On the basis of the hope that the resurrection grants for you in the future, reach out. On the basis of new life, we and all who believe can receive. On the basis of that new life that we can receive, reach out. Who knows? Perhaps God will move some by the power of his Holy Spirit to seek after him. Perhaps he will revive in them a new life. And what a joy that will be to see them raised up to a new life, beginning to truly love the Lord and to follow him in every aspect of their life. What a joy it will be to embrace those friends and neighbors on the final day when we stand before the throne of God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And what a wonderful Savior we will be able to share. A wonderful Savior that he would be willing to die to make this possible for us. That he would join us together with him completely by grace to be raised together with him, that we can obtain resurrection and new life, that we may be clothed in righteousness, that we may, be, that we may obtain the victory. As the apostle says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's not our final end. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptibility, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruptibility, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.